This is The Guardian. Today, could the new generation of weight loss drugs end diet culture forever? the more likely we are to be susceptible to myriad health problems diabetes heart disease infertility cancers with billions of pounds being spent on trying to break the cycle between excess weight and poor health but what if a simple jab or pill could offer a quick fix a new generation of slimming drugs semaglutide injections and pills have taken the world by storm. There's a good chance you've heard about the drug Ozempic in recent weeks. The diabetes and obesity medication also sold as Wegovy has been making headlines as many social media influencers credit the injections as a quick fix for weight loss. Celebrities have jumped on the bandwagon taking unchecked risks to shift a few pounds. Like a year ago I tried it, okay. you know. It's like, you know, you try it. And I was one of the people that felt like so sick and like couldn't like play with my son. I was so skinny and I was just like like he was throwing a ball at me and I was just And you're like, okay, this isn't livable for me, but I immediately invested. But these drugs, which were originally licensed to treat diabetes, can have debilitating side effects and landed some people in hospital. horrific side effects like legitimately horrific side effects i felt absolutely terrible i was dizzy all the time i was exhausted all the time explosive diarrhea i was very nauseous sometimes i'd throw up and oh i also had these really terrible sulfur burps where it just like i would burp all the time and i could taste it and it was foul from the guardian i'm nashin ekbal today in focus cure or fat the truth about weight loss jabs Nicola Davis you're the Guardian science correspondent and you've written quite widely on the rise of weight loss drugs 
Can you tell me what they are, first of all? Yes, so what we're talking about here are a range of injections, so injectable medications that can be used to help people lose weight. And these are relatively recent developments, so we're sort of talking in the last few years. If we look at a drug called Azempic, that one's been in the the headlines a lot, there's been a lot of talk about that. That's a once a week jab that contains a medication called semaglutide. The active ingredient is, is called semaglutide. And it's used to improve blood sugar levels in adults with type 2 diabetes. That's what, that's what Zempic was designed for. That's what it was used for. But they found that semaglutide also can help people lose weight. And so the company that created Zempic, Nova Nordisk, created another product also based on semaglutide, which is called Wigovi. And then there's another drug which has been around for just a bit longer called Saxenda, also produced by the same company. And that's a once a day jab. And it's of a similar medication that's called liraglutide. And that is licensed in the UK to aid weight loss. So those are probably the top three that listeners will have heard of. And these drugs are what are called GLP-1 receptor agonists. <laughs> it's a bit of a mouthful. But what it means is that they mimic a hormone called GLP-1, which is released uh, when you eat. Mm. These drugs work by slowing down the emptying of the stomach and the digestion of food. And they also work in the brain to kind of promote a feeling of fullness. So that feeling that, you know, after you've eaten, you feel full, you don't want to eat anything else. It kind of promotes that feeling. And what makes this generation of slimming drugs so different from those that have come before? And how effective are they? So before these injectable drugs, the options were quite limited, at least in terms of what was available on the NHS. So there's a drug called Olistat that basically works by preventing fats in one's food from being absorbed by the body. And there are diet and exercise programs, there's weight loss surgery options and, and various other strategies. But these new drugs, these new injectable drugs, they've gained a lot of attention because they've been found to be very effective at helping people lose, you know, a considerable amount of weight. So in one study which looked at around 2,000 people, they were all given lifestyle support, but some of them were also given semaglutide. And after 68 weeks, the researchers found around half of those who were using semaglutide as well as the weight loss support, they lost about 15% of their body weight and about a third of them lost about 20% of their body weight. Oh, wow. Whereas the participants who only uh, were given the lifestyle changes, they lost about 2.4% over that 68-week period. So you can see that it is a considerable boost. And many experts, many people would argue that there is a need for strategies to help people living with obesity to lose weight. I mean, if you look at recent figures, the proportion of adults in England who are obese rose from about 15% to 28%, nearly 30% between 1993 and 2019. And many would argue that there does need to be sort of a new way, a new strategy to help people to lose weight if they're living with obesity. Nicola, from everything I've heard so far, these drugs sound quite amazing, but, and there is, there is a big but here, there can be some awful side effects, can't there? I mean, what can you tell me about those? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with, with pretty much all medications come side effects. You know, these are having an effect on your body and there may be other effects that are not, not so great. And if you look at, for example, Wigovi, common side effects, you know, the list includes nausea, diarrhea, vomiting, constipation, stomach pain, headache, fatigue, upset stomach, feeling bloated, stomach flu, heartburn. I mean, this list, it's easy to kind of dismiss this list and say, yes, yes, but it's all worth it. But, you know, I've been in touch with many people who had used weight loss drugs like this. And 
they have reported many of these side effects, particularly long periods of being nauseated, so basically just feeling sick, a fatigue, stomach aches and diarrhea. And some people have also reported pancreatitis, that swelling of the pancreas. Now, I do think we should just consider this for a moment. Our food is a really important part of our life, whether it's sitting down to a family meal or a special lunch or looking forward to catching up with someone um, you know, over breakfast or, or whatever it is. And so the idea that you might feel nauseated the whole time, that you might just not want to touch anything to eat, that's not a small thing. That is actually quite a big thing. And it, it can really affect people's quality of life. And I do think that's very important to acknowledge. I'm a 66-year-old woman. I live in the west of Scotland and I have several health issues, including type 2 diabetes. I've always been a big girl. Uh, I was always fit, though. Um, I had a lot of pets, animals, dogs, horses, stuff like that. So I was always busy. I had quite a, a stressful job, which was quite physical at times as well. And the weight wasn't a major problem until I finally got diagnosed with fibromyalgia and everything slowed down so the weight crept up a bit more and a bit more and a bit more and the fitness went down and down and down. My diabetic nurse had suggested I go on a Zempic and to be fair it worked brilliantly. And so how much weight did you lose? Well I have lost probably three stone. I could do with losing another three. And how did it make you feel? Well that was the problem. I immediately when I took it, I was struggling with nausea constantly and I wasn't enjoying the food that I was eating. I wasn't, I was quite miserable, <laughs> to be fair. And did it affect your relationship with family and friends and your ability to go out and live your life like you normally would? Yes, I would say it did. Um, I used to enjoy a good night out, <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> but um, I, I, I just wasn't in any hurry to go anywhere because I knew I wasn't, if we were going out for a meal, I, I was only going to have a starter. I wasn't going to enjoy it. You know, that sort of thing. So generally, Azempic was helping you lose weight and manage your diabetes. But you were struggling with debilitating nausea. Were there any other side effects? Well, I was quite often struggling with what they call a vasovagal attack, where you kind of collapse with the pain with the spasms in your bowel. And I used to get them maybe once every two or three years. But when I was on Ozempic, I had about four or five over a six-month period. And the final one was in February where I went to the toilet and uh, the pain started really, really badly. And then my son found me on the floor and I was in and out of consciousness. And when I was coming into consciousness, apparently I was howling in agony. So I got taken into hospital. I got hydrated. They checked everything out. They couldn't find anything major wrong. And they decided to let me go home. I contacted my diabetic nurse and um, she said, stop it immediately. And uh, so I did. And I know there are people that are using it that aren't having the side effects, but I would just like people who maybe have other health issues to be aware of the side effects that I had. I hadn't tied it up with, with it and I still can't tie it up with it. But there was nothing else I was doing that was different. That sounds really intense, you know, collapsing on the bathroom floor with agonising pain in your bowel. Given your experience overall with Azempic, would you recommend it to anyone else? 
at the beginning, yes, I would have said to anyone, you know, give it a go. If it works for you, if you don't get the nausea, if you don't get the bowel things, then it's going to help you suppress your appetite and it's going to help you get on that journey and it will definitely help your diabetes. And yes, it's given me a kickstart to lose the weight, but you have to weigh it up. It's like anything else, isn't it, in life? You've got to just make that decision. In the US, the use of these drugs has become pretty mainstream and celebrities have been key to this. I mean, if you look at the red carpets that have been scrutinised in the tabloids for who or who might not have gotten skinny through using these slimming drugs. But can you tell me about how this actually works in the UK? What is available and being prescribed by the NHS? Currently, it's possible to be prescribed Saxenda. So that's the lyroglutide uh, medication on the NHS. Wagovi has been approved for use, but stocks haven't arrived in the UK yet, so you can't actually get hold of it through the NHS yet. Many NHS trusts are not prescribing Zempic off-label, so just for weight loss purposes, because it's needed by certain patients who have type 2 diabetes. So you don't want to kind of divert it away mm. from sort of one group for whom it was originally intended to give it to another group. And there are strict criteria for who can be prescribed these drugs, basically to make sure that they're given to the people who will benefit most. Hi there, week minus two on the hunt for Ozempic. I was prescribed it for type two diabetes. Uh, can't find it for love nor money at the moment. It's easier to get a toilet roll during lockdown than it is to try and get hold of this drug. Well, the UK recently announced a £40 million pilot scheme to trial wider access to slimming jabs on the NHS. What can you tell me about that? Who is it targeting? Yes, yeah, so again, this is not about making them available for anyone and everyone. It's about making them available to the people that need them. And the issue is that, you know, the current advice from NICE, the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence, you know, the, the drugs regulator, is that drugs like Wigovi should only be given via specialist weight management services. Usually these are based in hospitals. Now, the problem is that there just isn't enough capacity for everybody who might need these drugs to gain them through that kind of service. They're just... just not enough capacity in these specialist weight management services. So it's thought only around 35,000 people at a time in England could access the drug. And clearly, you know, the need is, is greater mm. than that. So the idea is that this pilot will explore ideas around how, you know, for example, could GPs prescribe the drug or similar treatments? You know, could wider support be given in the community or even online? basically to reduce the pressure on hospitals and mean that more people who need the drugs can get access to them. Nicola, what happens when people stop taking these drugs? That is a big point. So the NHS says these drugs can only be prescribed for a maximum of two years for weight loss. And the concern is that when the drug is stopped, the weight is regained. And if you've lost you know, 10, 15%, whatever of your body weight, for that to go back on, that's that's quite a big deal. And these drugs are supposed to be kind of a tool that is used alongside getting healthier habits in place. So whether that's around food or exercise, but it can also involve psychological support and therapy and kind of helping people to understand a relationship with food. It's not just about losing the weight. It's about enabling people who use these drugs to keep the weight off once they've started to lose it and to make sure that this is a long-term strategy. It's not just some kind of quick fix and the concern is if they're not receiving them on the NHS, if they are uh, seeking out private prescriptions, 
what kind of support are they being given? Or is it just a case of, you know, receiving these drugs, using these drugs, losing the weight, and then sort of being left to your own devices and seeing that weight go back on again once the prescriptions are no longer uh, provided. So I think it's, it's very much about how can these drugs be used in the best way to support weight loss, but at the same time, actually make a lasting difference. Um, so my name is Amanda. Um, I'm a teacher here in the UK. I've been here for seven years, um, originally from Florida in America, so obviously escaped. And um, yeah, that's about it. Can you talk to me about which of these drugs that we've been talking about in today's episode, which of them are you taking? So back in November, I heard about celebrities drastically losing weight. And obviously, as someone who's always struggled with weight, I started to Google and dig. Only one available at that time in the UK was the Saxenda one. So I've been on Saxenda since November. Wasn't prescribed by the NHS, was just gotten from Boots. And so can you tell me about the research that you did? Like, Why did you decide that Saxenda was something that you wanted to try? I mean, I would love to say that I was digging through all the medical reports and making sure it was safe, but I think I'm pretty up for anything that actually shows results in any capacity. Mm. I've struggled with my weight since I was a teenager. And I think one of the main drivers for me was that I read something about how it uh, turned off the internal monologue that's always telling you you're hungry. And that was a huge appeal. And I was like, I mean, I'll give it a shot. And first week, there was a little bit of like initial kind of nausea, which I think you have to kind of get used to because I don't know that as someone who has a compulsion to overeat that you know the difference between nausea and fullness and over time I started to go oh this is just actually like making me feel full. And how did you feel about food? How did your relationship with it change? It changed completely. It was it's totally bizarre. It's I mean I don't want to sound like I'm a proponent for it and be like everybody needs to be on this but if you have the internal monologue that is always thinking about your next meal or that every um, occasion is essentially kind of centered around what food you're going to eat there, what you're looking forward to. I mean, it literally takes over your brain. It's addiction, right? It's almost like smoking or anything else. You're thinking about that next cigarette. You're thinking about that next meal. So I think for me, it was like, I've never had my brain turned off in that way to where I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not, I'm not hungry. I don't think I was hungry before. It was just my brain was just constantly kind of circling around those thoughts. And what about with exercise? Has your relationship with that changed at all? I mean, I'm not going to lie. I've always had a bad relationship with exercise. The level of exhaustion I have from work and from being 40 is not one that goes, okay, I finished the day. It's six o'clock at night and I'm just leaving school. Let me go to a hit class or let me go to a yoga class. Like there's nothing left. What about the kinds of foods you're eating? I think with this medication, it, it's dangerous in a way in which I've noticed it brings me back to being able to go, oh, I can have whatever I want. I'm not hungry very often, but when I am hungry, it doesn't matter what I eat. And therefore, sometimes I eat like, you know, a 16-year-old at a sleepover. Have you got a plan to come off it or do you see this as a long-term thing for you? I do see it as long-term, definitely. Um, I'd gone about four days without it at one point, I think. It was maybe a month ago. And I noticed the the weight and the cravings almost immediately come back. Oh, wow. Which in a way was 
scary because you're like, oh gosh, this is permanent condition that I, I had forgotten about. It was a beautiful vacation to not have to think about food all the time. And then you go, oh God, this internal monologue is intense when it comes back. Mm. And my mental health is definitely better. Waking up every day and being able to wear what I want and being able to look at myself in the mirror and go, that looks nice. And you look nice. And, you know, I think it's just, I, I have a much better relationship with myself. Do you think it's sustainable for you? Like you're not worried about any long-term impact on your body or your health? I mean, I think the overweight, you know, obesity kind of situation is probably worse for my health. I think my mental health is worse when I start to gain weight and go into that loop of feeling horrible about myself, kind of beating myself up, um, having to, you know, put on clothes and go, oh my gosh, this doesn't fit anymore. You know, the negative cycle of the way I was speaking about myself as weight goes on. It, I think that's more unhealthy for me. And I think this has stopped that completely. Nicola, we just heard from Amanda, who has a complicated relationship with her body and weight, but says, you know, she's had an overall positive experience using Saxenda. But if these drugs are being used without the extra support around diet and exercise that the NHS will recommend, do we know about what impact that will have on someone's health long term? No, and I mean, I think really one of the big things that's needed is longer term trials looking at the use of these drugs beyond two years, because we need to know about safety and side effects, you know, long term safety, you know, what happens if you are on these drugs for 10 years, say, is that safe? We don't know, we need to do that research, that's really important. And I think the issue here as well is if we're talking about people using these drugs for say two years, coming off the drugs because of the recommendations that they shouldn't be used for longer than that, and then the weight goes back on. One of the impacts there is about the impact of this yo-yo effect, you know, this gaining and losing weight, potentially in a sort of cyclic kind of way. And also the other important thing to consider is what it does to people's mental health. What is the impact of losing a substantial amount of weight and then regaining that? I mean, one study in 2020 found that the more times a person has weight cycled, the greater their risk for depression. And that mm. seems to be associated with internalized weight stigma. And so that kind of thing is also really important to look at here. You know, what is the psychological impact, not just the physiological impact? Nicola, because these drugs have had a lot of attention, it has meant that some people have paid really high sums for private prescriptions and gone to online pharmacies to get their jabs. Why is that a worry? So on the NHS, you know, there are very strict criteria. You have to go to your doctors, uh, you know, talk about it, you get referred, you know, there's a long pathway and you have to meet certain criteria. Uh, you can't just pop down and say, I quite like Mozempic, please. <laughs> it just doesn't work like mm. that. That's not how it works. But of course, if you go online, there is a plethora of online pharmacies and they, lots of them offer weight loss jabs and some of them will offer Mozempic off-label. So they will offer it for weight loss. And I was involved with an investigation with The Guardian uh, where we were looking at how easy it is for people to get hold of some of these drugs through online pharmacies. Some were very strict about, you know, if you don't meet a certain BMI, then no, you can't order this. That's not allowed. 
and others we found a very different situation in one case we did actually find an online pharmacy who fulfilled a prescription for azempic to a reporter who had a bmi of around 20 which is a healthy bmi and that was a very concerning finding and you know eating disorder charities like beat have expressed a lot of concerns about this and uh, tom quinn who's from beat was saying that you know the fact that these weight loss injections are apparently available online without stringent health checks in place in some cases you know that's alarming because you know it's very tempting to order these weight loss injections because they seem to promise you know a fast result a quick fix but they can be very dangerous for people with eating disorders and he also said that rapid weight loss could contribute to eating disorders developing for the first time in in vulnerable people. Mm. So the the key point there is that screening does need to be rigorous. Restrictions need to be put in place and they need to be applied because these drugs are very potent. They have the potential to be very, very helpful tool for some people. But there is always the danger if they are misused that they could be quite dangerous. There are other concerns about the politics of these drugs, aren't there? When you look at the criticisms put forward by the body positive movement, for instance, they're quite vocal about the fact that these drugs and the way that they're endorsed play into our culture's obsession with being thin, that they equate fat with bad, ugly, deeply undesirable. What do you make of that? So I spoke to Natasha Durvin, who's a body image and mental health campaigner. And I was talking to her about the problematic pressure that's already on people who are obese and how these drugs might tie into that. And she was saying, and I think this is a really important point, that public health messaging at the moment is basically lose weight by any means and that will automatically make you healthier. And I think that that is very concerning because there are many, many more factors to consider there. So as as Natasha said to me, she said, when we're focusing on what we can change, it should be about how we treat our bodies as opposed to how our bodies look. And and I think that's really important and perhaps has been lost in this whole kind of celebrity clamour about using these drugs. I think this pressure, this idea that somehow these drugs are available and therefore why aren't you using them? That's not a good way to look at this. It's not going to be suitable for everybody. It's not going to be suitable medically. It might not be suitable psychologically. It might just not be what somebody wants to do. And people shouldn't be coerced into using them. I mean, that's a, a, a terrible sort of idea that people would be pressurised into using these drugs. So I think that there's all sorts of questions there about the kinds of pressures that these drugs might put on people. Coming up, what is behind the obesity epidemic? And can these drugs transform the nation's health? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. 
If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Well, Nicola, the long-standing assumption about maintaining a healthy weight is that it all comes down to willpower. We'll have heard calories in, calories out, and that every person has the same chance to be the same size. But this just isn't true, is it? I mean, can you tell me how the science has moved on and what is now generally understood about weight loss and obesity? Sure. So it is an extremely complex situation here. I mean, this isn't just about... um, individuals, you know, and their personal eating habits. It's, it's much more than that. And I think that that really talks more to the fact that this is a, this is a societal issue. This is something that uh, needs to be dealt with on a societal basis. And I think that's well recognised. There's an awful lot of evidence showing that obesity and issues that go with that are often linked to socioeconomic status. It's linked to the food environment. It's linked to unhealthy food the accessibility of that, the price of that, all these other issues that are contributing to the environment in which people live. And that's not to take away from the fact that they could be very powerful tools in helping people who are living with obesity, but they don't actually tackle the root cause of obesity. They don't stop people from gaining weight in the first place. So it sounds like there is a real risk that all of this attention on treatment will remove the focus from prevention. So as you've said, the root causes of obesity. And it does seem like the government could use these drugs as a quick fix, a sticking plaster, rather than tackling our dysfunctional food system. You know, as you've said, in the sense that healthy food is so expensive and ultra-processed food is so comparatively cheap and hard to avoid. Well, I mean, the government has been criticised for being timid over doing more to combat obesity in the first place. So there have been some measures. For example, you've got calorie labelling on menus and some limitations on, on where unhealthy foods can be placed in shops. But there's been delay after delay to other measures. So things like restrictions on multi-buy deals, so sort of two-for-one offers on unhealthy products or advertising of junk food. And these kinds of measures matter too. You've also got on top of all this the cost of living crisis, which is not going to be helping a situation at all. And so these kinds of factors which play into how we interact with the food around us, the kinds of foods we eat, the kinds of um, 
activity we can get, the kinds of support we can get, the psychological components of all of this. You know, our relationships with food is often a very, very complex and multifaceted one. It's not simply something which can be solved with a single intervention and certainly not after people are already living with obesity. What about healthcare professionals and organisations that you've spoken to? I mean, what do they have to say about these slimming jabs? And is there a, a general endorsement of the fact that they've arrived or is there a reluctance to see them as this silver bullet? I think that a lot of people I've spoken to about it see them as a useful tool and they're something which might be very helpful to some people, but they're absolutely not in and of themselves the single answer here by any stretch. And you know, this idea that, you know, we have to change the whole environment in which we live, this whole food environment, the whole economic environment. This is so much more than just these jabs. Nicola, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. That was science correspondent Nicola Davis. My thanks to her and our interviewees who share their experiences with us. To read more about this story, head to theguardian.com and search under azempic or semaglutide. There's tons of reporting, including last week's story by Donalu, which asks, can diabetes and weight loss drug azempic break addictions too? Lots to chew on. And finally, if you're looking for a new job and want to find something meaningful, Guardian Jobs can help you connect to a range of roles in education, charity, green and government. Build your career with a company that aligns with your values. Head to jobs.theguardian.com. And that's it for today. I'm Nosheen Iqbal. This episode was produced by Eli Block, Sophie Smith and Ned Carter-Miles. Sound design is by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer is Huma Khalili. We'll be back again tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.